Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraj. On this podcast, I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode, The Venture Business Decoded, I speak with Bejul Samaya, Managing Director at Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed India Partners is one of India's largest and most successful venture funds, having funded the behemoths of the Indian startup ecosystem, including the likes of Oyo, Baiju's, Oran, ShareChat, and many more. Bejol Sumaya is one of the legends of India's venture ecosystem, having started Lightspeed in India back in 2008 and now expanding it to Southeast Asia. The man with the Midas touch, Bejol, has famously led the investment in Oyo, which led to a 35x exit and has further backed phenomenal companies like Quran, Shuttle, Magic Pin, and many more. Through this wonderful discussion with the spectacularly experienced Bejul, we go over multiple interesting questions, including what winning in venture really means, how to evaluate risks in venture, how does pattern recognition work in this business, what goes behind building a meaningful partnership and the importance of relationships. Thus, without further ado, let's dive in to the mega 50th episode on the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, The Venture Business Decoded, with Lightspeed's Bejul Sumaya. Thank you so much, Bejul, for joining me. It's such a pleasure for me to be able to host you. Thanks. It's, uh, thanks for inviting me. It's good to be here. Glad to hear that, Bejul. And as I was telling you backstage, you know, uh, that this is one of my bucket list episodes. And I want to jump right in with the objective that we can understand more about how venture capitalists with your kind of experience and perspectives actually think. So I'll jump to it. And my first question there is basically on decision making, because from the way I look at it, a large part of what a venture capitalist does is, let's say, take decisions for a living. And uh, when we talk about it, just to understand your perspective on how is it that you approach any given problem, any given decision, and what are the variables that you're considering? I think that'd be a great abstract way to begin the episode. Sure. So I think first and and foremost, um, in our business, it's important to have exposure to upside. You know, we're, we're, as as investors, uh, we're in an asset class where we will take a fair amount of risk. Some things will not work out. That is the, that is the reality of um, innovation and entrepreneurship and anything associated with it. But hopefully some things uh, work out really well, and then there'll be a set of things in the middle. Um, but if you, if you don't have in a portfolio, if you don't have the set of companies that work out really well, it's unlikely that you can build a very, a very high-performing fund or portfolio. And so our focus really is, as we think about decisions, it is about, you know, where can you get exposure to that type of very high upside? And so first and foremost, we're thinking about that, the potential for upside, which is different than many other asset classes where one is really focused on, for example, not losing money. Obviously, we don't want to lose money, but, you know, the focus is less on downside protection. 
The second thing then is really, you know, thinking about what combination of things can provide exposure to, to that kind of upside. And at the very early stage that we invest, it's often comes down to founders and markets. You know, founders are ultimately the, the very special people that, that navigate markets and those that do it really well um, are able to do things that um, one would never have imagined. And so there are certain characteristics that we look for in, in founders based on, you know, the, um, the experiences we've had and the fortune, good fortune we've had in working with some of these special people. And then in terms of markets, we're really looking, you know, one has to look at markets that, you know, the word we use is surface area. These are markets with very large surface area so that you can, you know, if things go right, you can build a very large company. And, uh, and so, you know, those are some of the things that go into our decision making. That paints a fairer picture as to how decisions are made and we'll dwell upon it further. But now I want to shift to how you've navigated the decisions in your life, right? Because last part of your experiences also show that you always have that affinity to be on the founder end of things, right? Be the player, build things. And then you move to the venture side of things, started the Lightspeed India Fund and a lot of things related to it, right? So if you can perhaps give us a bit of context to how you navigated decisions in your life and how do you keep the founder aspect of it alive in the venture role that you currently have, that'd be really interesting to hear. Well, I wish I could give you um, an answer that made it seem like it was all well-planned and executed. Uh, it, it, it wasn't. You know, I think I'm, I'm generally, um, I, I can say this a little bit more looking backwards, but I think what I've done is I've generally um, made decisions uh, in favor of what I'm drawn to as it relates to my own personal decisions. And uh Perhaps earlier in my career, I would have been much more analytical about, is this the right thing to do in the context of a career? Uh, but I think um, subsequently, there was much more spontaneity, much more serendipity involved. And as I said, you know, really sort of this, this instinct around, you know, this is something that I'm feeling energized by played a bigger role than perhaps um, cold calculation or very rational thought. One of the things that um, I think does weave through my career uh, and I do believe is really important is um, is just being around really high quality people. So whenever I've made uh, decisions um, as it relates to my own you know career choices, and what I advise others when they come and ask me is, you know, who are you going to work with? Because that's who you're going to learn from. And if you if you work with the best, then you learn from the best, and you learn things that you would not learn anywhere else. And regardless of how that experience may end, that learning that you take away is priceless. And so, you know, if there's one thing that I've done and continue to do, it is, it is to focus on, on the people uh, involved in those decisions. And that obviously flows into the work I do now as well. And, you know, as it relates to the founder or the entrepreneur aspect, I, I think of myself very much as an entrepreneur, um, an entrepreneur in the venture business. Like other entrepreneurs, we have to think about our part of the market, our value proposition, uh, our differentiation, how we compete, the culture we build, how we attract great talent, how we retain that talent, what our strategy is relative to our peers. These are all things that we have to think about in addition to our investing and investment decisions. And so in that sense, I sort of you know, feel very much that I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur and uh, I love that. 
that's very evident with the way you're speaking as well. And, you know, I love the first part of the answer that you simplified it in such a great manner. But, you know, stemming from there, this, this just popped up in my head. And I'd love if you can clarify, right? In the business that you are and in the business that founders eventually get into as well, what really counts as winning, right? Because are we just purely looking at numbers? What is it that you're extremely fascinated about and curious about that gets you going, you know, that identifying the end objective before you get on that journey, like part of it, as you mentioned, you know, that it can be applicable in career choices in terms of the people you end up working. So the end goal being learning, but in the business that you happen to be in and the way founders can perhaps look at it, what do you suggest would define winning success, victory, whatnot? It's a lovely question. And it's, I think a question to which there is no one answer and no one size fits all answer. And often what we try and do is we try and understand what winning means to a particular founder. And hopefully that founder is also doing the same with respect to uh, evaluating potential investors is where is there an alignment of what it means, it means to win. And I, I don't think there's any right or wrong here. It's just, it's, you know, it's a very personal choice, you know, obviously for, for us, you know, we have to generate certain types of returns. And so the return profile of something is important, but that return profile is really its output. It's the result of some things, right? And so what is it, you know, if you, if you generate high returns, what is that usually the result of? It's, it's usually the result of building a pioneering, durable, market-leading company. And so for me, then I would, I would say that's what, in a sense, uh, the components of, uh, you know, I choose those words carefully because they're important to us. This idea of being pioneering. So there's something new and innovative about what the company is doing. Durability is important to us because it suggests that there's something sustainable about what the company is doing. And then, um, and then market leading, you know, which, which obviously is, is an important component of that. So that's the aspiration. And, um, and then the last point I would just make, you know, which at least I take for granted, but I don't think it should be, is, you know, that this company has meaning for, you know, the founders involved. It's not just a, it's not just a, a way of making money, right? There is a deeper connection to the problem. Uh, and, and then that typically leads to a deeper understanding of the problem. And, and usually when you have, a, as a founder, a deeper understanding of a problem, you end up serving your customers better than anyone else can, which in turn enables you hopefully to build a market leading company. So, so those are some of the things that we, that we look for. That's spectacular to hear. And when you spoke about careful articulation and the choice of words, that made me think that, you know, when I was just doing my research, I realized that, you know, Lightspeed has a great uh, motto or line, if I may, right? Tomorrow built today, right? And from that, I figured that, you know, again, this is a double-edged sword that I'd love your opinion on in terms of pattern recognition, because as investors, I'm sure you're looking at multiple hundreds of companies across months, right? And when that happens, you're almost used to catching what has happened when and looking at patterns, looking at trends and understanding it. However, the most defining companies by definition are trend breaking, right? Pattern breaking, pattern creating in nature. So how do you perhaps, you know, make sure that these two things are in line and make sure that you have, let's say, you know, the room for surprising your own self as well and not very stringent in terms of counting things out. So it'll, it'll be lovely to hear your opinion on that. Yeah. I think it's a really important, you know, 
topic or question because often people in the venture business talk about the importance of patent magic. And I think, um, I don't think it's fully understood, at least in my view, uh, for the reason that you, that you mentioned, which is that the largest companies will, will, will likely be contra to the patent, right? And so the way I think about, about patents is, I think it's really important to be able to see patents and to recognize them. And it's even fine to be, in a sense, inspired by them and guided by them, but not to be blinded by them. So the idea that um, we, can, we can learn from them, you know, and we can recognize those, but you still have that openness, right? And the first principles approach to thinking that when you see something that doesn't fit a pattern, but it just makes sense. And then you pressure test it. One of the things we often do in diligence, our approach to diligence is not to confirm what we believe. It is actually to try and tear down what we believe. That is sort of the, you know, what, what we try and do in diligence, right? Is you sort of have an, a hypothesis and you're trying, to, you're trying to tear it down. You're trying to disprove it. Um, and then after you've tried to disprove it, truly, intellectually, honestly, from every angle, which is why I think diversity of thought is so important in our business, if it is still standing, then it, in my mind, it doesn't matter that it's counter to a patent. What matters is that it's still standing, you know? And so that's how we, that's how we try and, um, and hopefully benefit from the patents. And I think what the patents do, they can really help you make, they can help you avoid bad mistakes, right? And in a sense, and, and that's important to do. And they can probably help you with sort of the 80-20, Right. If you apply those patterns, then, you know, likely you're going to focus on the 20 percent of stuff that is interesting and you're going to strip out the stuff that isn't. So that's great. That's powerful. But the issue is you don't drive outlier returns by being in that 20. You've got to get down to the 0.1 percent or the 0.2 percent. So there's a role for those patterns, which is why I said I think it's important to understand them, but not be so wedded to them and closed you know, and blinded by them. Fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, just just the balance perspective of it and not looking at just one side of patterns. And I love the fact that you mentioned that it's more of a negating mechanism as much as a choosing mechanism. That That's a great point to hear. And since we're on the subject of, let's say, double-edged swords, another thing that has been a common narrative in the venture business is about taking risks, right? And famously, I think, I don't remember, somebody mentioned it that, you know, venture by definition is, again, betting on or taking risks, but they don't often usually do because again some of the venture funds are looking for the most obvious of companies right and we understand that there are multiple stories of how an airbnb was rejected i'm sure an oyo must have been from multiple others as well right but given that you also come at a stage which is very early on right where there's not much to show tangibly right it's a very early bet the convictions on a multiple uh, sort of thing so how do you think of risk when you know you're in the venture business and how do you perhaps would suggest founders to look at risk as well from your learnings experiences yeah look again i think different venture firms will have different approaches to this as i said it in my in my opening thoughts uh, i i think what our business is really about is having exposure to to upside and to you know these companies that we talked about that can be winning companies. And so that that is the priority. If we think about it in the context of of avoiding risk, you know, if let's say we make an investment that you know our first investment in OYO was $600,000, okay? 
So what's the worst that could have happened? The worst that could have happened is we would have lost $600,000. But what actually happened? You know, I think it's in the public domain, so I, I won't, you know, I won't go into that. So is the more expensive decision or is the more, is the more expensive mistake potentially risking $600,000 or is the more expensive mistake not being in that company? It's clearly the latter. So then, you know, what it comes down to is when we talk about risk, what is the risk? Is the risk the money I may lose or is the risk the winning companies I may not be in, right? And then depending on your framing then of risk, it will actually kind of guide how a firm invests. Wow, that that's spectacular to hear. And, you know, like just, just weighing risk in the right manner and not looking at it from a short-term perspective, like as opposed to just, as you said, you know, the money lost versus the opportunity to be gained. That's a great mechanism. Uh, moving further, like I want to delve a bit upon, you know, how Lightspeed thinks about a couple of things, right? And if you can perhaps indulge. So there's this term, right? Uh, a fund market fit, right? So in that prospect, like how is it that you perhaps, you know, look at Lightspeed setting the ball in terms of how you've entered the India market and you're also championing the cause for the Southeast Asia expansion, right? So if you can perhaps tell us a couple of things about how Lightspeed looks at the venture business and how it's becoming competitive by the day for the right reasons, I'm sure, because there are great founders building great companies. So it would be lovely to hear your answer there. Sure. So Lightspeed has a, has a fundamentally a global view of the venture capital business. We believe that technology-driven disruptions and innovations will happen across the world. And uh, when they happen, there will be significant dislocation in those markets innovation and value creation. And uh, we want to participate in that process wherever in the world it is in the sense of meaningful markets. Not that long ago, there was a perspective that that was entirely the domain of the United States, right? And so a lot of venture firms did and still do only invest in the US and, and that's okay. But um, I think as a firm, we've um, we not only, I think are seeing that this is happening across the world and are participating in it. But there's also a lot of learning that now flows across borders, right? Because there are some things that, you know, if you take, for example, you know, the B to small B business where we made an investment in a company called Uran in India, you know, that was at a time when many people would have been skeptical about, you know, any, any companies that target small businesses. But, um, you know, subsequently, for example, we've made an, we made an investment in a company called FAIR in the US. Um, and that company is now doing very well. And there's a whole set of companies that are, you know, this, this ecosystem that's emerging to support small businesses. Similarly, there's been a lot of innovation in China uh, around, for example, um, monetization for social media businesses. And some of those innovations are finding themselves in other markets. So there's a lot of that learning that is very powerful uh, that, we, that we benefit from. And so that is really our perspective on, on the venture business. The other change that's happening is, uh, as you said, it is getting competitive. Companies are staying private for longer. And so some of those companies therefore also need access to more and more private capital. And there's a smaller set of firms now that have the capital base to be able to support those companies through their entire life cycle. And you know, Lightspeed is one of those that has, that has scaled to be able to, you know, be that partner for a founder through the life cycle. Uh, so those are a couple of the of the trends that we're seeing. It is it is getting increasingly competitive, but I also think that 
the set of firms that have this global footprint and that have been involved in multiple pre-product to high value journeys, you know, that, that's still quite small, you know, and so um, hopefully what we can bring to competitive situations is, you know, is that, uh, is that founders recognize that we not only have the capital base and the global footprint, the global networks, but also the experience of helping these companies navigate. And then finally, and I think it, it's really important, the humility and the empathy to be good partners to those founders, you know, which I think are, are things that are not spoken about enough. For sure. You know, that last part makes me recall. I remember you were getting this award where you, the first thing you said after taking the award was that it's not the, not us that we do the magic. It's the founders that do it. This is something that again, as you said, does not get spoken of enough. In the closing segments, you know, Bejul, I want to understand, and I'm sure you've been asked this multiple times, but we've spoken about decision-making, winning, and also light speeds ideology. But over the years, I'm sure you've spoken to multiple stellar founders, supported multiple of them. What is that thing that you really feel has stood out about some of the people that are able to, you know, persevere through this tough, challenging journey of being a founder, but eventually make it past the, you know, uh, rocky stages. I'm sure it's rocky at all points in time, but you know, what is it that makes the, make somebody different as a founder, like from your experiences, that'd be spectacular to hear. Yeah. Founders come in, in different, uh, in different characters and there's no one style of, of a founder that, that um, ultimately succeeds. And even the, the, the definitions of success, you know, we can debate. I, I think anyone that creates a company from nothing, where nothing existed, and they create a company, let's leave aside the size and value of the company, but they create something that did not exist, to me is to be celebrated. That's an incredible thing. That is success. Okay. And then we're just talking about what are the different degrees of success. But if, I, if I'm to take, you know, some of the commonalities that I see in these founders, um, one is there is a connection to the market that they have, you know, that is very deep and you get a sense that they're just on a mission and nothing is going to stop that mission, you know, and when they run into a brick wall, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way through, they'll be resourceful, right? They'll be innovative. They'll be creative. They'll keep looking, they'll keep searching. So I would say that's one. And some of this, this nature also is, um, you know, it's, it's captured in this idea of, um, of, of these ideas of grit and resilience and determination. I think I love the word determination, right? Because these people are determined and, and that's part of what fuels them and enables them to keep going. Um, and then, you know, I think there are some other characteristics that are important, but I, would make, I wouldn't say are universal, but I think our, our, um, some of the best founders do uh, embody them. The ability to identify and um, and attract really talented people, because ultimately you can't build companies yourself. You have to you have to get other people in to you know to 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 help do that. And then finally, sales capability, because you know early on, if you want to attract really great people, and if you want to raise capital, and if you want to get your early customers, that's all selling. And sometimes selling is viewed as a as a negative thing, this isn't snake oil selling. This is just the ability to evangelize. It's the ability to communicate in a very compelling way why you're doing what you're doing, right? And when, when some of these founders can do that, then 
talent and capital and customers come their way. And you need those things ultimately to, you know, to build a successful company. For sure. I think what's going to stand out for me and, you know, I'm going to remember is that mission you spoke about, you know, the connect with the market and that unriveting mission that a founder is on, which is very evident. For the second last question, Bejul, I want to pick your brain in terms of, you know, the coaching role that a investor has in the life of a founder, right? And I remember, so I've quoted Vinod Khosla before on the show, but he's mentioned that, you know, the toughest thing for a founder is to decide whom to take advice on. The flip side of that is, you know, how does an investor decide when and how do you advise an entrepreneur? Because I'm sure that they know more about what they're talking about, right? And then it becomes something as a, I, I don't know, it just becomes a dilemma. So I, I'd love to understand how do you look at it, especially with the years of experience you have on board with some great founders that you've backed again. So would love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I think really strong investor founder, you know, relationships are, are, um, are partnerships in a sense, right? And what that means is that, you know, the, the different partners can bin, bring different things to the table. And so, for example, typically founders are, you know, they're very much in the, in the day-to-day because they're driving execution, right? And when you're in the day-to-day, you know, you don't have the same field of vision that someone who is seeing things from a distance. They have a different field of vision, right? And they're into a different world. And so, you know, to be able to provide that perspective, I think is very powerful so that then the founder is, it's almost like you're giving the founder the full field of vision he or she already has hers from, from the day-to-day and whatever he or she is, is doing, but then is also complemented then with, with this more lateral field of vision, okay? The other thing is, at least I, I believe that, you know, some of the strongest founders, it's really more about helping them navigate to the right answer. Because as you said, they will always know more about their markets than, than we know, right? So it's really, it's really helping them clarify and get clear in their own head about these are the strategic choices to make and to be able to share real examples of where other situations, you know, kind of we've been in similar situations and these are, these are the types of decisions we took. I think the only place where, you know, maybe I would resort to this idea of giving advice, uh, you know, which is more prescriptive and, and generally I think, you know, I'm not sure we need to be highly prescriptive, but I think the time to do that would be perhaps where, you know, you have younger first-time founders and there are just some things like, you know, we know to be true having, having seen the journey of multiple companies. What's an example of that? An example of that is, is for example, is, is, is attracting strong talent, right? Now, we can have a debate about what strong talent means in the context of that company, the stage of that company and the market. But this idea that you, you need to attract strong talent to be a force multiplier, it's a truth, right? So if, if sometimes, you know, with some founders, they need to, they haven't experienced that. They haven't seen the value of that. And so that may be more, you know, sometimes when you're, you know, you're pushing a little bit harder, but you're doing that because there's a relationship of trust, not because you're pushing in a sense of, you know, you have to do this. But again, it comes back to that partnership. If you trust me and I'm saying to you, Jivraj, listen, from everything I've seen, it's really important, right, to do this now. And by the way, here are five people you can go and speak to, you know, then that's the way it typically happens. 
Got it. Again, wonderful cue in terms of, you know, looking at it from the perspective of a partnership and not, let's say, you know, a binding, whatnot, tangible relation. I feel, you know, that adds more value to how you looked at it. Uh, for the final question, Bajral, like apart from your life learnings, which I'm sure like we can perhaps, you know, you can leave us with a couple of them. I'd love if you can, you know, uh, shed some light in terms of the relationship building thing that you focused upon, because this quote is also on the website where you've defined, you know, that there's a paragraph about you. And you said it in the opening perspectives of the episode where you mentioned about, you know, how you look at being with the right people. But, you know, it's often misunderstood and we as youngsters perhaps don't see the larger picture in that perspective. Again, no stereotypes or no generalizations here, but just to be clear in terms of what have been your major learnings in terms of building long lasting relationships with people that really matter would be a great way to end the episode. So I, I, I want to, um, I think we should nix the last part of the question, which is with people that really matter, because I, I think we should build um, strong relationships with people, not only with those that matter, because everyone matters, right? And, and you just discover how they matter at different points of your life. And so I also think that when, when a filter of who matters and who doesn't is brought, then there's a more transactional element to the relationship that's built. And I don't think I don't think genuine powerful relationships can be built when there's a transactional agenda. You know, so for me, I think, um, uh, you know, like, for example, when you reached out to me, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't sort of in a sense of filter of does this matter or not, you know, what I sensed was that you were someone that was really passionate about what you were doing. And when I feel that passion, I want to encourage it. And, 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 and that was the reason that we're, we're doing this today. And so for me, you know, my learning has just been to, to just do right by people. And it doesn't take a lot. You know, it's, it's simple things like respecting them and, and giving where you can give, thinking about other people and, uh, and being open and honest um, you know, and uh, I, what I found is there's nothing secret here. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's no rocket science. But if you do those things consistently over a period of time, it turns out that you'll build rich relationships. Right. That's beautiful to hear. And in fact, I can testify it because you didn't just respond to a cold email. I remember that briefly after our first interaction, you were like, tell me more about you. What's your story? Give me more context. And I don't think anybody's ever done that before with me. So it, it's amazing how it's simplified. You've put it in a very simplified manner and I just hope everybody can take it. I think this is a great, great way to end the episode. Thank you so much, Bejul, for indulging in this conversation. This has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. I did. I really did. Thank you for your, your questions and um, all the best. Thanks for having me. Spectacular. This was phenomenal. The clarity and choice of words along with the authenticity and humility, was simply amazing. The way Bejul talks about building relationships and true partnerships on the fundamental basis of genuinely caring, being nice and establishing trust is wonderful. So many of the fundamentals echoed and clarified. So much to grasp and learn from. That was it 
from the 50th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, The Venture Business Decoded, with Bajul Sumaya, Managing Director of Lightspeed Venture Partners. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Do follow the podcast on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you recall. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.